Welcome to the Grace Under Pressure podcast, an evidence-based podcast for the nurse anesthesia community. What makes Grace Under Pressure different is that it's created by and for CRNAs and SRNAs. I exclusively interview CRNA experts and deliver topics based on your preferences. Thanks for listening. So welcome back to the Grace Under Pressure podcast. I took a big bit of a hiatus because I was graduating from CRNA school, um, had a few other life events, and now I've transitioned into my first job. So I thought one of the valuable topics we could discuss today is that transition from SRNA to CRNA status. So our special guest is Reeve Brander, one of my classmates. Welcome to the podcast, Reeve. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so uh, like I said, Reeve graduated from the Rutgers Nurse Anesthesia Program with me. He had started his first full-time job with me at a, a large like teaching institution, but he also has multiple per diem. So we're going to discuss the transition all the way from graduation to kind of your first few weeks on the job and what kind of hiccups or, you know, pearls of wisdom he can give to you guys um, to make that transition easier. So if you don't mind telling us, um, we graduated kind of beginning of May. Yeah. When did you take your boards, and then when did you actually have your first day on the job, and what job was that? So I took my boards a month after I graduated. I started preparing a little bit before graduation, and then took a solid, I would say, four to five weeks. Four to five weeks of no clinical, no clinical, no just classroom studying every day. I used Apex, which I think is more than enough to pass the boards. I think it's a valuable tool. Um, it more than prepared me. So my advice to students out there that are graduating, Apex, Apex, Apex. I agree. Everything about the program is great. The modules are wonderful. The flashcards is Huge. a gold mine. Yeah. Um, so once I pass my boards, credentialing takes a while, unfortunately, and I had just finished school. I needed money. <laughs> um, so I actually looked into doing per diem jobs. And the first one I found was a vascular per diem job. And how would you say from the day you passed your boards, how many days or weeks after that did you have the paperwork necessary to actually take a, you know, take your first step into an OR? So my last rotation was at the facility that I took a job at. Okay, so they had your health clearance. So they had my health clearance, they had paperwork. I was already speaking to them and sending them information as I received it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, some hospitals do give options of like start sending in your paperwork early and then once your boards are passed, you can send in your CRNA certificate. Right. So I think for me, from the day I passed my boards, I think it took about five weeks to actually start work. And you'd say that's the quickest probably somebody yeah, would be able to do that. Yeah, that's fairly quick. Just so they have an idea of when they're going to get that first paycheck. Because I know everyone's very concerned about that when they graduate. Right. And usually that's not going to come for another two weeks after that. Yeah. So about eight weeks for my first paycheck. And then because of that kind of lag time, you mentioned that you um, also started applying to per diem positions. Yeah. So I used a website called Gasworks, mm -hmm. which is a, a great platform to find jobs. And it's not just per diem jobs. It's full-time jobs, locum jobs. Um, you they post salaries. I would say most 75% have the salaries posted. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't, 
but it gives you a great description of what the job is, where it's located, the type of cases you're going to be doing, and what's expected. And also hours, like if they require nights, weekends, yeah. things like that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what type of position, because you took your full-time spot at, um, at Big Teaching Institution, were you looking for something in particular in your per diems? So the institution that I worked at wasn't going to cover all the clinical skills that I had acquired in school. So I definitely, I wanted to make money, obviously, but I wanted to kind of fill those gaps. Mm-hmm. Vascular is something I don't do a lot at at the teaching hospital I work at. Um, and it also, it's an independent practice, which I felt was important for me. Not that I don't love working in a care and team model. I think it's very valuable. The listeners, an idea of you know, what parts of the practice you miss out on if you're in a care team model. I know our job in particular, kind of our docs are going to see the patient beforehand. We're not putting in our own IVs. Um, Right. So where I am, we don't pre-op the patients. In terms of IVs, intra-op, we usually put in another IV, whether it's a second large bore IV, a RIC line, or whatever is necessary for that case. But I feel like pre-oping is an important part or skill set of our job. I think where where we are at our teaching hospital, we've we've kind of learned to pre-op within the short amount, whether it's via computer or the short period of time when the patient comes into the operating room. Yes. That five minute period where I'm I'm putting on my monitors before I call my attending. And what types of questions are you asking in the expedited pre-op? So Airway, always. Teeth, 100%. Mm-hmm. Do you have loose teeth, dentures? Because sometimes that stuff is missed. Sometimes people forget to pass it on. I don't want to be in a position where I'm, you know, doing a direct laryngoscopy and, and a tooth falls out or one is wiggly. I want to know beforehand what's going on in that environment that I'm about to step into. Right. Um, so and I definitely think as a new employee, you don't always know the other personalities, you know, and right. they're probably some um, parts of our team that are more vocal and relay more information, others relay less, and mm-hmm. being a new hire, especially in a, a huge place that has lots of employees to get to know of everyone and what they would actually relay is hard. Right, so, so my, my main things that I always try and hit is, did you take any medications today? What mm-hmm. were they? Loose teeth, fake uh, false teeth, dentures, caps. I kinda just take a visual inspection of their body just in terms of, do their veins look good? Do they have, are they edematous? Um, you know, just a overall visual of does something look out of place? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, like you said, our pre-op is very much technologically based. Mm-hmm. Like I've pre-oped them, but via computer. And sometimes, sometimes seeing a patient has a different effect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what was your first per diem job? My first per diem job was at uh, a vascular clinic doing venograms, angiograms, sometimes stent placement or a balloon. And what type of anesthesia are you giving specifically? So the the anesthesia that we do there is pretty much like conscious sedation. Mm -hmm. We have, there's an anesthesia machine, there's emergency drugs, emergency airway. Uh, One tip, I hate to segue for a second, but when you go into independent practice, I think there are there are a couple really important things to know. One is when you walk into a new facility, always, always, always check to make sure you have the tools that you need. So ambu bag, oxygen, emergency equipment, um, emergency meds, 
I've been unfortunately in a situation where I've come in and I haven't had all the supplies that I've needed mm -hmm. and I had to call the person that I was working for and, and tell them I need this equipment here. If you're not able to bring it or you can't get someone to bring it, then I can't go forward with the cases. And I think knowing that it's okay to say that. I was going to say, what kind of tips can you give our listeners and especially our students of how to find your voice? When you're a student, it's easy to lean over to your CRNA and say, you know, if I was in here alone, I'd be uncomfortable because I don't have X, Y, and Z. And they may say back to you like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But once you're on your own and you have the authority to make that decision, it is hard to stand up to, you know, whoever and say, I need this in order to practice. I think that's a great point. I think trust your instinct. Mm -hmm. Always do what's best for the patient. Imagine that was your mom, dad, brother, sister. Mm -hmm. I think we all know and have all been in those situations where we know something is wrong or we should have something. And to, to listen to that intuition and, and to know that you went through school, you went through the process, you know you have this knowledge, you passed your boards. And to be confident and to know that you are a, a good provider and, and in order to do that, you need certain tools. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say that. No one's going to fault you for saying that. At the end of the day, you're going to get faulted for not double-checking and not saying something. Right. And were there clinical experiences within school that prepared you um, for these types of scenarios? I know um, we discussed a little bit about certain sites are more... Um, willing to leave you alone as a student. Others, you know, provide more supervision. Mm. I think there are pros and cons to both. I definitely think, and I could say this now, I was fortunate enough to be at institutions where I did have the freedom to, whether it was make mistakes or, or be independent and learn. There was always someone there as a safety net to catch me, but they gave me the opportunity to to be in those situations and to give me the chance to think my way out of them. Mm -hmm. And I do think being in those situations, and that comes with experience, you learn you learn what's really important and what's really necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of people who end up with, in their first job. Maybe it's a place they went for clinical, maybe it's not, um, and are not used to that. And I think... Right you know, certain CRNAs that I've spoken to just in our first few weeks there um, have said, you know, the first six months are really hard. Once you get to that year mark, you feel 10 times better. Um, but I think people who have harder transitions are maybe um, students who didn't have the opportunity to be alone as much. For those individuals, I would say mentors are, are going to be your most valuable tool because even though you haven't experienced those situations, having someone that you could speak to about it or that's willing to share their experiences and their knowledge with you is going to be priceless. Mm -hmm. um, I always felt like I tried to find a mentor at every site that I went to. I was going to say, and, how, how could um, you know new hires or students find mentors? How do you reach out to people? How do you develop those relationships? If your hospital offers mentorship or has counsels or someone that you just feel comfortable with, there's nothing wrong by going to that person and, and letting them know that you value their opinion and asking, is it okay that I bounce ideas off you? I feel like in our profession, especially, we are stronger as a group. You yeah, know, absolutely. The rising tide rises all ships. Yeah. Um, so shared knowledge and shared experience is so valuable. 
because even giving anesthesia, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat in right. anesthesia, right? We can all do things differently and we can learn from each other. Right. And, and nobody's from... faulting a new grad no. or a new hire with experience, you know, to say, hey, I've never done this procedure before. Be honest. Of course. Um, I've definitely said all those things. You know, I was thinking about this and this, but this is kind of holding me back. What do you think? Should I do this? Should I do that? And people are always willing to kind of share. Yeah. And that's especially valuable when you're going for interviews for your first job, mm -hmm. get a feel for the anesthesia community there. Yes. Because it is going to be your first job and you're going to do things that you haven't done before and you want to be able to lean on your staff and your support staff and be able to feel comfortable asking those questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other topic I wanted to discuss is how it's different when you're orienting as a newly christened CRNA you know, at a hospital versus what it was like to be a student. Right. When you graduate, being a student and in that, that student mindset is all that you know, and you're so used to your CRNA coming in and being like, okay, so what do you think about this? Or tell me what the textbook knowledge is about this procedure and then it is different when you walk in it's your first day as a CRNA but it's weird yeah it's very weird um, it's a big transition it's a good feeling it is a good feeling um, I did my doctoral project on mentorship so that's something that's very near and dear to me mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we support each other like I said before my biggest thing for when you are a CRNA and you're precepting or you have a new student is always ask you know one, what have they done? What rotation is this? Are they a brand new CRNA? Are they a senior CRNA, you know, or a senior about to graduate? And ask what their goal is for the day. Like, what can I do to help you today? I want to, whatever that is, whether it's learn something new about an anesthetic plan or a skill set that you haven't practiced, I think more communication is always beneficial. Knowing how I can help you grow in that day. Mm -hmm. I was like an overshare where like, <laughs> I was like coming in and being like, okay, so I have prepared this and this is our patient. You know, I just live yeah. like in my head, I'm like, this is what I did as a student. This is all I know. Um, and they were like, okay, like <laughs> you're CRNA now. Yeah. This is your patient. This is your case. We expect you to look them up because you're responsible now. Right. Um, which was good. I mean, you, it gets better and better every day. I saw, speaking of mentorship, I saw my mentees not that long ago. Um, it was after my first week on my own. So I'd been oriented to the hospital and then I'd just been on my own that one week. And I walked in to where we were meeting and they go, oh my gosh, you look so much more relaxed. And it really is. It's like this invigorating, wonderful feeling yeah. when you give those anesthetics for the first time and you know, you really feel like, oh my gosh, this was all me. And my patient woke up and didn't have pain because of my plan and mm -hmm. truly no one, you know, nobody's double checking my work anymore. And that's a great statement you made is your plan. Mm -hmm. I think always having a plan is probably the most important thing we could do for our patients and not just a direct anesthetic plan, a backup plan, mm -hmm. a backup plan for the backup plan. Mm -hmm. I think that will save you in all situations is thinking about what can go wrong in your cases mm -hmm. and knowing what you can do to solve those problems beforehand. So when those things occur, you're not struggling to think about oh crap, what do I do right now? Mm -hmm. You already have this, you've gone through this in your head. Right. You've played out this scenario. So when it does occur, God forbid that happens, mm -hmm. it's just a, a second thought to fix the situation. Yeah. And I had one preceptor say to me, you know, when you have downtime, you're in a long case and nothing's really happening and 
you know, boredom's a real thing, <laughs> go through a worst case scenario. I, our hospital even has some like emergency manuals. I've yeah. like, gone through those. I actually read through them. They're really them nice. I read through them. Yeah. I mean, one thing, um, so we do lung biopsies where at the place we both work, um, and they have a hemoptysis code algorithm, which mm-hmm. was something I never heard of in school, never Same. came up on <laughs> studying for boards. Same. It sounds extremely scary. Um, so basically, if the you know person conducting the procedure is doing a lung biopsy, they can have profuse bleeding in their lung, and you have to put it in a double lumen tube and all this call other thoracic. crazy stuff. And mm-hmm. you definitely need to know who to call, what equipment you need, and so that you know you can kind of go on autopilot for that stuff and yeah. use your critical thinking for the rest in mm-hmm. case something bad happens. Um, have you had to call like you're attending in an emergency scenario yet? We just had to convert a mat case to general, which was like never happened to me as a student. Yeah, um, that was always one of my worst fears. We use Viscera, so you know, calling people on that thing can be stressful. It's a pain. I don't love those. I know I don't love Viscera either. I have to say, yeah. knowing their first and last name, and then it's like, did you say so and so? And you're like, oh my gosh, not the time. It never gets it right. It's so painful. <laughs> Um, uh, I have. I actually had that same situation happen to me okay. where it was a MAC case that ended up need, needing to be converted to a general case. Yeah. So I did call my attending and let that person know, and mm-hmm. he came in the room, and that's what we yeah, did. Yeah, it went smoothly, so mm-hmm. that's nice. But I feel like, especially con- you know, transitioning from student to CRNA, you're so used to having like this extra set of hands. or yeah. Um, you know. I think my advice for that would be when in doubt, call. Mm-hmm. No one, this goes back to just safety first. Yeah. Um, No one's going to fault you for calling because you believe there's a problem and there isn't one. Mm -hmm. You know, the fault's going to happen when you don't call and something happens. Mm -hmm. So the end goal is just safe care for our patients and seamless care. And Mm -hmm. in order for that to happen, I think it's always better to play on the side of safety. Like, thankfully, I haven't been in too many situations where I've needed to call the attending, but definitely, like, hemorrhaging. Yeah. um, I've called just because, one, it's it's very hard to manage a patient, manage the machine, the airway, give blood, check blood. The extra set of hands is always, always helpful. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing, actually. Um, We're not used to necessarily making the call of when to call your attending or or even just to call to update them on, like, what's going on in the case. Right. I think every attending is different. I think every institution is different of what their expectations are. Right. Um, so it can be kind of, you know, you don't want somebody to walk into the room and say, oh my God, you should have called me when you, you did this. Definitely. Um, I took over for uh, like breakfast or a lunch break for you. And I thought you're set up for that Matt case. We have like an IR area uh-huh. that can be a little bit intimidating because our anesthesia machine is on one side and then our equipment cart and our omni cells on the other side of the room. It is not conducive to what we do <laughs> at all. And then also sometimes you're bag masking with the opposite hands that you're used to. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. I hate that. Sometimes I actually mask with my other hand now just, just so if I'm in that situation, I feel comfortable because when I first had to do that it's it's like your other never hand has before. never yeah your other hand has never done it before so yeah. it can be overwhelming um but i really liked your setup and it's actually what brought you to my mind when i was thinking about this topic because um for me you know also giving somebody a break is not necessarily something you have a lot of experience with as a student right um 
So you had your airways from least to most invasive setup, yeah. <laughs> which I loved. So it's like oral airway, nasal airway, LMA, tube. Yeah. Everything was ready to go. You also had emergency meds. Since our OmniCell is so far away, you had all your emergency meds kind of there, ready to go. Um, and that's another lesson. If you're handing off a case or giving, you know, taking a break, giving somebody a break, to just have all that stuff available to them really makes everyone's life easier. Yeah, and I think that just goes back to worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. In this situation, what is the worst thing that could happen? And so what if somebody comes in and says, you wasted? Yeah, I don't care about that. I know. I don't, and we're fortunate to be at an institution where that doesn't matter. Right. You know, sometimes you're at places where supplies are not always available. Right, counted and yeah. Very... So, being fortunate enough to be in that hospital, that institution, we should use that to our advantage. Right. So always, what do I need if this happens? If this happens, worst case. And are your per diems the same way, or are they more conservative in terms of what you're allowed to open? So I wouldn't say they're more conservative about what I'm allowed to open because. The patient should always come first, mm-hmm. but I don't have the plethora of supplies mm-hmm. that I have at our institution. And even medications. I know we talked a little before we started recording about Sugamidex and how nice it is that we get to use that on yeah. any patient we want to <laughs> and how much easier our lives are. It, it has changed the game of yeah. anesthesia. I mean, there are probably students who may graduate in years to come that have only used Sugamidex and don't know the trials and tribulations of Right, and I, I think it's valuable to know how to use neostigmine and glyco and the timing and the effects. I can tell you the per diems I have, Sugamidex is not available available like water <laughs> like it is for us. Even even emergency meds, you know, you might have one or two vials of something. Mm. So to so look and see. Mm-hmm. Never expect Check and it. see, yeah. Again, ambu bag, like make sure there's basics. always an ambu bag. Always go back to the basics, guys. That's yeah. I still do Miss Maids. Me for too. anyone. I Me love too. I love Miss Maids, yeah. Every single case, every single day. Mm-hmm. So for those of you guys who don't know Miss Maids, it's like M S M A I D S. So yeah. um, machine suction monitors. Monitors, airway, airway IV, IV drugs. drugs, and special equipment. Yeah. And it's just a nice check to make sure you have everything you need in case. Um, any other pearls of wisdom for people graduating or students, um, people taking new jobs elsewhere? So pearls of wisdom. So for boards, Apex, mm-hmm. all the way, really dedicate yourself mm-hmm. and put in the time. Knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. The more you know, the better you're going to practice. Right. In terms of per diems, Mm -hmm. I I think per diems are great. I think it allows you the opportunity to do things you might not do at your regular facility. Mm -hmm. If you're practicing in a state where it is medical supervision, Mm -hmm. um, it might give you the opportunity to have more autonomy if that's something you're looking for. In terms of jobs, someone once told me there's three things you're going to get in a job. So you're going to get quality of life, you're gonna get money or you're gonna get experience. Mm-hmm. Now, you're never gonna get all three of those things, unfortunately, that would be great, Dang. right? <laughs> I wanna work there. That would be amazing, but that person told me you should get at least two of those things. Yeah. So, out of those three, I, I would ask that you kind of prioritize and what's important to you, and those things might change right. as your career advances. What mm-hmm. might be important to me today in five years might not be as important to me. So I would say pick your top two and try and find a facility that offers you that. Yeah. 
Um, going back to 1099, if you do do 1099, I rec- Can you give them a little description of 1099? Right, I'm sure sorry. some people are familiar, but I, definitely students, like it was kind of alien to me. I hadn't. So a lot of per diems give you the opportunity to do 1099, which is a form of payment. So at our institution, we get paid W-2. So mm-hmm. our taxes are automatically taken out. We get benefits. At a 1099, your taxes are not taken out. You usually don't get benefits, but there's a lot more tax incentives at the end of the year. In order to get those tax incentives, I recommend that you look into forming either like a S-Corp or an LLC. There's great blogs online that you could... Yeah, do you have any certain ones? I mean... Not off the top of my head. Yeah, you just Googled Um, when you were researching Yeah, you could Google it. Um, I definitely recommend like finding a tax person in your area. I Mm -hmm. know for New York, in order to open up a PLLC, which is like a professional LLC, which we need as anesthesia providers, or an S-Corp, you need a tax person to assist you. But when tax season does come, you end up bringing home a lot more money because you don't get taxed on as much. Mm. So for someone that really wants to hustle or wants to, you know, try and increase their their salary as much as they can, I, I think 1099 is a great way to go, whether it's just something per diem on the side or some CRNAs I, I know are just full-time 1099. Yeah, I've heard that too. Which is nice because a lot of times you get a variety. You're doing something different every day. You might go to ortho one day, a vascular clinic one day. Are you eligible for health insurance through something like that? No. So you would have to be covered So by... most 1099s, you have to get your, oath, your own health insurance. Okay. Some 1099 that are per diem will give you malpractice insurance. Okay. That's dependent on the job and also what you negotiate. The ones I have, my malpractice is paid for mm-hmm. because I, I just didn't want to have my own malpractice. I was going to say, did you do additional? That was something that, you know, my little group of friends was talking about constantly. Should we do additional malpractice insurance? So I did not. Um, I think that's a personal... A, right. And also, what kind of coverage does your... Um, yeah. Give you, so. um, I think if you're just doing, I mean, if you're just doing per DMs and 1099s, then I would definitely have great insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, what is it, like a three, three, one, like three million, one million coverage yes. policy is, is just like your average run of the mill, which I think is good. But again, that's personal preference. I don't have a lot of knowledge in it, yeah, so I, I don't want to recommend anything right, to anyone. Right, right. Um, um, something to think about, something to research for sure. Yeah. Um, there's also locums for people that want to travel. There's locum opportunities where you do a three-month, six-month stint somewhere. The pay is great. They usually pay for your travel, your stay, like your housing. Um, so it's a great way to travel, see different cases, do different things, meet different people for someone that's interested in that. Last thing, what's your opinion or what were your considerations? There were a lot of jobs that were offering to pay our loans, you know, in advance or while we were in school, mm-hmm. as long as you signed on to work for them for a certain salary. Um, Always controversial. This is a controversial topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, loans are a big topic. Have So I fall into that group of someone that has a lot of loans. CRNA school is expensive, yep. especially where we live. Yep. I recommend definitely looking into your options. If you work for a nonprofit or a 501c hospital and you plan on staying with that hospital, mm-hmm. I would look into public service loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people will like poo-poo me for saying that because a lot of... That's okay. There's different opinions everywhere. But... Yeah. Uh, recently, people have been getting denied. I think when you actually like look into it and read about it, 
they got denied because one, they weren't given the proper paperwork, they mm. didn't document correctly, their loans weren't the correct ones, and that wasn't their fault either. It, it was a broken system. Yeah. Um, I think they've revamped that system, and I think in the coming years, you'll see more and more people getting that that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great opportunity for people with a lot of loans. Yeah. In terms of signing a contract where they pay back your loans, I'm always hesitant to be locked in anywhere. Right. Because you just never know what life is going to throw at you. Also, I feel like our last year in school, um, so we're in the New York City area, mm-hmm. a lot of OR beds opened at many different institutions, and there was a sudden urgent need for anesthesia providers at almost every institution that Correct. employed CRNAs. So, um, you know, competition and salary changed a lot in that last year and if we had signed for a certain number beforehand um, maybe we wouldn't have been able to take advantage of that surge yeah no. and that could go the other way as well you know there could be a need and then by the time you graduate that need does not exist so true it's unpredictable I think it's also a personal choice. I yep. think it also depends how much they're giving you. Are right. they are they paying off your loans entirely? Because I might sign for a yeah. while if someone's willing to do that. If yeah. anyone is out there listening, yes. no. <laughs> contact me. Um, yeah, I think it's a very personal choice, but I definitely recommend looking into your issue, uh, your options. Yeah. Whether it's public service loan forgiveness, anyone out there know that if you refinance with a, a private bank, you're not eligible for loan really? forgiveness by the government. Okay. Yeah. You're also not eligible for forbearance. So let's say you're going through hard times mm-hmm. and you can't pay your student loans, mm-hmm. the private bank is not going to care. Okay. Um, if you consolidate where let's say you have multiple direct loans and you, you put them into one, so you're just making one payment and not five different payments, mm-hmm. but it's still through the government, then you do have the option to go in for into forbearance. God forbid something happens. Wow. Um, there's also different pay, uh, repayment plans the government offers, whether it's um, repay or pay as you go, which is um, income or salary dependent. Mm-hmm. And then they have obviously like the 10 year 15 year plans yeah um but just look into your options obviously lowering your interest rate is mm-hmm. going to help you exponentially so if if you can lower that that's always a good way to go yeah absolutely well this was very enlightening Thank you, Reeve, for being with us today, sharing your experiences. You guys can visit my website at www.graceunderpressurepodcast.com. There's an option on that welcome page to submit any questions you have. If you have topics that you'd be interested in the future, please send them my way. Uh, If you have questions about resources, anything like that, you can find descriptions of my episodes and even listen to them there. So please visit the website and continue listening. We are looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you for having me.